Hello, Freedom Fighters, and welcome to the First in Freedom podcast, where we discuss current threats to our freedom, how they impact us here at home, and what we can do to stop it. Last Friday night, the Democrat majority of the state Supreme Court threw down the gauntlet of tyranny and dared us to do something about it. Well, I'm your host, Jason Fibbs, and we're taking freedom back. Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. All right, so this week, um, we'll do a little something different. I've got two topics that I want to discuss, and both of them are pretty lengthy. So I think I'm probably just going to break these up into two episodes. So the first one um, is with respect to the ruling by the North Carolina State Supreme Court this last Friday night declaring the maps uh, drawn by the GOP to be unconstitutional. Um, So I want to dive into this deeply and uh, go through everything. And and I want you to hang with me on this because I know you might hear like, oh, you know, district maps, that sounds so boring. You know, what does that have to do with anything? It is so important and so critical what's going on. You need to know this. This is a direct attack on our freedom. And I want to just uncover as much as I can about why it matters, how it happened in the first place, or what the rationale is, what they're trying to do, all of those things, so that you have a full understanding of not only what happened, but um, what we need to do about it. So um, just a little bit of background for those who may not be as familiar. So um, as I've said in previous episodes, um, every 10 years, the uh, we have to do a census um, that's required by the Constitution or the federal Constitution. And as a result of that census, um, that apportions population into the respective um, districts. Um, So it determines how many congressional seats that each state gets. And so as that process unfolds, it's incumbent upon the state legislatures uh, in order to draw maps that then apportion the respective seats, both at the federal level and at the state level. So this is a duty that is you know, given to the state constitution or to the states, or I shouldn't say given, I guess it's, it's um, recognized um, that the states would put all of this together. And so every 10 years, um, essentially the party in power, whether that be Republicans or Democrats, they have control of the map drawing. And that map drawing then determines what the uh, uh, voting districts will look like for the next 10 years. So obviously it's a very big deal. It's been going on forever. It's not like it's anything new since the beginning of the Republic. And so like every other 10-year period in 2020, this process had to go again. Well, the GOP went and drew the maps, and of course, naturally, the Democrats took them to court like they always do. It went to the State Court of Appeals, and the State Court of Appeals just a week or so ago, uh, a three-judge panel, two Republicans, one Democrat, ruled that those maps were constitutional. They acknowledged that those maps were partisan gerrymanders or the maps favored the Republican Party, but that's not illegal. That's not against the state constitution. And so they ruled those maps constitutional. Well, of course, they appealed to the, the Democrats and the liberals, appealed to the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court has a four to three Democrat majority. And so guess what they did? They said, I don't really care what the constitution says. Partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional. And so we're going to rule four to three that the maps have to be withdrawn. So I want to go into detail of their ruling, and I also want to talk about some of the aspects that they mention and why their ruling is so egregious. 
So the first thing is the original claim by the plaintiff. So there were three plaintiff parties, I guess, that at least were represented in the oral arguments last Wednesday. So last Wednesday, um, they held oral arguments before the state Supreme Court. And this process is just like the one that I described um, in the federal Supreme Court or the United States Supreme Court um, weeks ago with respect to the OSHA case. So it's appellate law. Um, where briefs are submitted in advance, and then the uh, the petitioners and the respondents or the the, the, ch- the challengers and the defendants go before the the sort of the judge panel, if you will, and then they make their arguments. And then after the, you know the briefs have been submitted and the arguments have been done, then the judges make a decision or rule an opinion. So um, that's sort of the, the the background of it. Now. One is I want to start off with what are exactly the constitutional requirements um, for uh, district apportionment when it comes to the state constitution. So according to the North Carolina state constitution, this is Article 2, which outlines legislative powers. So these are the powers of the General Assembly. Um, The, uh, uh, I guess, redistricting process is covered in Sections 3 and 5 of that of that document. So in Article 2, Section 3, I'll just give you an example of what it says here. So this is with respect to Senate districts. The Senator shall be elected from districts, the General Assembly, at the first regular session convening after the return of every decennial or 10-year census of population taken by order of Congress shall revise the Senate districts and the apportionment of Senators among those districts subject to the following requirements. Okay, so now these are the requirements and they're listed one to four. Number one, each senator shall represent as nearly as may be an equal number of inhabitants, the number of inhabitants that each senator represents being determined for this purpose by dividing the population of the district that he represents by the number of senators apportioned to that district. So just bottom line, every senator has got to represent roughly an equal number of people. Number two, each Senate district shall at all times consist of contiguous territory, meaning that the the area that the senator uh, is over must be connected. Okay, so you can't have, you know, a piece of the state over here and then you got a piece over there that you have to, to um, lead as well or represent. So it's all contiguous territory. Number three, no county shall be divided in the formation of a Senate district. So where possible, they need to keep counties together. And finally, number four, when established, the Senate districts and the apportionment of senators shall remain unaltered until the return of another decennial census of population taken by order of Congress. So basically everything stays as is until another census is taken. That's it. Those are the rules. And it's the same in Section 5, except it just refers to the House instead of the Senate. So, um, that's going to be very important as we go through uh, the rest of this and talk about the arguments that have been made. We talked about the requirements uh, for the maps, but I also want to mention the original claim by the plaintiffs. The original claim was that these maps represented an extreme partisan gerrymander. So that that term extreme is important because partisan gerrymandering, or in other words, uh, shaping the maps in favor of a particular party is not illegal. And it's not, as, as you heard me just mention in the, uh, in the requirements in the state constitution with drawing maps, you didn't hear any reference at all to party affiliation. So the original claim is that it's an extreme partisan gerrymander that somehow they went so far beyond the pale as to violate the state constitution. So getting to the majority opinion, 
Here's what they write as their conclusion. The, the, the four Democrats say, we conclude that claims asserting that congressional and state legislative districting plans enacted by the General Assembly are unlawful partisan gerrymanders that violate the Free Elections Clause, the Equal Protection Clause, the Free Speech Clause, and the Freedom of Assembly Clause of the Declaration of Rights in Article 1, Sections 10, 19, 14, and 12, respectively, of the North Carolina Constitution are consistent with the text and structure of our state's constitution and our system of separation of powers justiciable in North Carolina courts. So, essentially, they're saying that this this partisan favor that has been given by Republicans to Republican candidates is unconstitutional as a result not of Article 2, which outlines the actual rules that they have to abide by, but rather goes to the Declaration of Rights in Article 1 of the state constitution and says that they have violated four of those uh, sections or rights that are laid out there. So, uh, it's going to be really important to go through each one of those. So let's go through the articles that they just mentioned in the state constitution. So first was Article 12. Um, Article 12, or Section 12, rather, of the state constitution says, The people have a right to assemble together to consult for their common good, to instruct their representatives, and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances, but secret political societies are dangerous to the liberties of a free people and shall not be tolerated. So essentially, this is probably what you think it means, the right of assembly and petition. In other words, people cannot be prohibited from gathering together to express their view on an issue. Now, what that has to do with our elections, I have no idea, but that's number 12. Number 14 is another one. This one is with respect to freedom of the speech, or freedom of speech. Um, It says, freedom of speech and of the press are two of the great bulwarks of liberty and therefore shall never be restrained, but every person shall be held responsible for their abuse. So that's section 14 of the state constitution with respect to the freedom of speech. Again, I haven't heard that anybody's speech is being restricted here. Everyone gets to go vote. They can vote for whoever they want. The district maps have nothing to do with that. So freedom of speech is not being uh, curtailed. Uh, Number 19, uh, 10, I forgot number 10. 10 is all elections shall be free. And and of course, free elections has to do with, again, going back to um, slavery and the Civil War and all of that where people dealt with, you know, I mean, one, they were forbidden the ability to vote in many cases, um, but then also there were states that imposed certain requirements in order to allow people to vote, where, you know, maybe you had to pay money, maybe you had to pass some kind of test or whatever the case may be. All of this, you know, all of these restrictions were kind of wiped away with these rights. The free elections, everyone has the right to go vote freely. They, shan't, they, they shall not be inhibited in any kind of way. They shouldn't have to pass any kind of test to do that. So again, I don't know what the maps have to do with that, but that's another thing that they cited. And then finally, the last one here is uh, Section 19, um, and this is with respect to equal protection of laws, and this one's really important. So um, listen to this. No person shall be taken, imprisoned, or deceased of his freehold, or you know, have his stuff taken from him, liberties or privileges or outlawed, or exiled, or in any manner deprived of his life, liberty, or property, but by the law of the land. So in other words, nobody can take any of your stuff unless basically the law says it. Like there has to be a law and you got to get due process and all of that. 
No, and then it goes on to say, no person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be subject, subjected to discrimination by the state because of race, color, religion, or national origin. Note, it does not say party affiliation. That is not one of the, the, the characteristics there. So when we talk about equal protection of the laws, we're just simply saying that the law has to apply the same to everyone. So, you know, if I go commit a crime and, you know, and I murder someone or I steal or whatever the case may be, the law's got to be applied to me in the same way that it's applied to everyone else. Of course, with respect to circumstances and all those types of things that, that are taken into consideration. But bottom line is everybody should be equally protected. And obviously this is to keep people from saying, well, I like that person, so I'm going to enforce the law there, but I don't like that person. So I'm just going to kind of turn my head and pretend like nothing's happening. So that's what we were talking about with, with respect to equal protection. So now listening to those four rights that were listed, what in the world does any of those things have to do with the election process or the maps? To get deeper into their argument, let's go um, further in the opinion. So later in the opinion, they say, so they, again, they ruled it unconstitutional, they ruled the maps unconstitutional. And so now they want to talk about how the General Assembly can comply Okay, so so what is it that the, they want the General Assembly to do in order to draw maps that are constitutional? Well, they write, quote, to comply with the limitations contained in the North Carolina Constitution, which are applicable to redistricting plans, the General Assembly must not diminish or dilute any individual's vote on the basis of partisan affiliation. The fundamental right to vote includes the right to enjoy substant, quote, substantially equal voting power and substantially equal legislative representation. End quote. And that's a reference to a prior court case. This encompasses the opportunity to aggregate one's vote with like-minded citizens to elect a governing majority of elected officials who reflect those citizens' views. When, on the basis of partisanship, or by party affiliation, the General Assembly enacts a districting plan that diminishes or dilutes a voter's opportunity to aggregate with like-minded voters to elect a governing majority, that is, when a districting plan systematically makes it harder for one group of voters to elect a governing majority than another group of voters of equal size, the General Assembly unconstitutionally infringes upon that voter's fundamental right to vote. So essentially what they're saying without saying it is they're basically arguing for proportional representation. They're essentially saying that if the, you know, in our case, the state is almost 50-50 when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, and of course, that's not even acknowledging the huge, like almost a third of state voters are unaffiliated. So I don't even know how you calculate them. I mean, you can look at their past um, uh, election tendencies, but that obviously is no guarantee of the future, just like it is for Republicans and Democrats. So that sort of throws a whole wrinkle into this is that you've got a whole third of the, the voting population that consider themselves to have no party. But I digress. So you've got this, this party affiliation. Essentially what they're saying is that anything that you do to sort of proportionally underrepresent or, or disadvantage someone based on party, or, or, or I shouldn't even say someone, but a party, if you disadvantage a party in any way based on, and, and they don't spell it out proportional, but they talk about substantially equal voting power um, in, 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 in substantially equal legislative representation, when you do that, you've violated the state constitution. Now, if you just recall what I read from Article 2, 
uh, in terms of the rules that they have to follow, again, it mentions nothing about party affiliation. Yet here, they are insisting that it is, in fact, because of the misrepresentation of parties or party affiliation or partisan gerrymandering or skewing of the maps, that is a violation of the state constitution. Where do you get that? You don't. They're just making it up. That's exactly what's happening. And so, uh, let's see, let's go to, um, I guess, to speak a little bit to some of their reasoning. I want to play a clip from, or a couple clips, I guess, here from the oral argument. So this one um, is with respect to um, these freedoms that they're talking about. So they're talking about violating the will, the, the one of the uh, Democrat justices, um, Justice Hudson, is essentially saying, you know, what about the will of the people? Like, aren't these maps violating the will of the people? And doesn't that matter? And she's posing this question to the defendants, to the folks that are representing the General Assembly. So let's listen to that. I'm sorry to interrupt you so early, but I have a question about that. There's been quite a bit of back and forth about um, finding number 567. Um, And I'm just wondering, why does it matter how far away from what is permissible um, these maps are if they prevent the will of the people from being carried out in accordance with Section 2? And if second, there is an articulable standard for the General Assembly to apply to create maps going forward? Your Honor, uh, the plaintiffs have not presented an articulable standard. And to say that um, the the maps don't comply with the will of the people, we we would respectfully submit that that's a circular argument. We you, you don't know if they don't comply with the will of the people unless you know that they're, quote, extreme, because some permissible partisan intent is allowed. Where that skews away from the will of the people has to be defined. Now, this court could certainly take a stab at defining it, but our argument is is that respectfully that would be the court legislating that would not be the court engaging in a judicial determination so you heard there the justice asked the question essentially what about the will of the people like isn't that important uh we, we you know we can't violate the will of the people and then also can you give us uh, an articulable stand- standard that we can go by essentially to know where that is and of course, the the counsel for the defendant rightly said, "It's not my job to give you a standard. Like, you know, the plaintiff, it's the plaintiff's job. The ones that are filing the case here, and they have not art, uh, not articulated one. So it's important to know that the plaintiffs not only are arguing and saying the 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 Republicans have gone too far. This is a partisan gerrymander. This is an extreme partisan gerrymander." And having to acknowledge that partisanship is allowed, but saying that they've gone too far, they also don't tell them where the line is. So how far can you go? And then, of course, the defense counsel there says as well, he's like, this is kind of a circular argument, isn't it? Like, on the one hand, you're telling me we can't violate the will of the people, but then at the same time, you can't tell me where the will of the people is. So it's like, we don't know where the will of the people is until we define where the will of the people is. And once we define where the will of the people is, then we violated the will of the people. So basically we're going in circles here. We're not getting anywhere. And that's the bottom line. You see this throughout this argument is that the plaintiffs keep saying that the defendants have gone too far, but they can never tell them where the line is. How, how have you gone too far? So 
that's the that was one piece with respect to will of the people. There's another clip here um, that I want to talk about. Um, this is with respect to the equal protection clause. So this is um, Justice Anita Earls, also another Democrat on the court. And and if I, if I heard correctly, recently she's also on the short, on uh, President Biden's shortlist potentially to um, replace Justice Breyer on the United States Supreme Court. So it makes this especially interesting. And she's asking a question about equal protection to defense counsel as well. So let's hear that. You know, there are three different uh, places in our state constitution where the um, plaintiffs say that it actually does provide robust protection. And so uh, let me ask you about the equal protection clause. And um, I, I, I assume you would agree that the state equal protection clause protects black voters from intentional racial discrimination in redistricting. Uh, correct, as well as federal law. Right, but you would you would agree that our state equal protection clause covers that. And, I would assume. I would assume so. And so, my question then is, why shouldn't our state constitution equal protection clause also protect people from discrimination um, on the intentional discrimination on the basis of party affiliation? Why isn't that equally a equal protection violation that impacts a fundamental right, the right to vote? It's a fair question, Your Honor. Here's my answer. Two two reasons. Number one, uh, when it comes to race, race is an immutable characteristic. Partisanship is not. Uh, number two, uh, when when the Constitution, when the Equal Protection Clause protects of uh, discrimination on the basis of race, it's doing that with regard to uh, individual voting rights. It's not giving group rights. And there, there is there's no basis, in our opinion, for this court to prefer Republicans and Democrats over other people and create a new right for them based solely on uh, partisan preference, which changes all the time, uh, including sometimes within the same election. So you heard there the, the question being, you know, doesn't the Equal Protection Clause essentially protect people based on party affiliation? And, of course, you, you heard defense counsel there give a couple of reasons. One, he said, no, because race is a, an immutable characteristic, whereas party affiliation changes all the time. And then, two, he mentioned that, you know, essentially what you're talking about doing is you're taking what was intended to be an individual right, a right given to individuals, and you're translating it to a group. You're basically creating a new group right that does not exist. And so um, I've got an even simpler explanation than that, which is uh, – Articles, uh, I mean, Section 19 of Article 1 of the state constitution does not mention party affiliation. I mean, let's just go back to it again. No person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws, nor shall any person be subjected to discrimination by the state because of race, color, religion, or national origin, not party affiliation. So, uh, Madam Justice, um, it's because the constitution doesn't say that. That's why. So it's actually pretty simple. We make this much, much harder than it has to be. This final clip here with respect to um, the plaintiff's case, I thought um, uh, defense counsel did an excellent job talking about what is extreme. So that's a really important point here. And I want you to hear some of the examples he gives of the maps that Republicans actually drew 
and how these these computer models, simulated models that the plaintiffs brought that supposedly made these maps so far beyond the pale that they're dis- disenfranchising people and way out of scope, et cetera. Let's just hear uh, what, what this sounds like. What's a, what's a fair map look like? What is a map that actually, quote, complies with the will of the people? Is it is it uh, a map that uh, complies with proportional representation? How do you measure that? Do you use the efficiency gap? Do you use the mean median test? Do you use a declination test? Uh, and if you use any of those tests, what, what what does the legislature have to do to make sure it has a passing score uh, under those? And so, uh, and, and and how will the court define what is extreme versus permissible? And uh, let me just expand upon a point that Ms. McKnight was making uh, regarding these simulations. Even with the plaintiff's experts' analysis, it's clear that the number of districts at issue in this case, in this case, is marginal at best. Uh, she mentioned uh, Dr. Chin's analysis, which shows that you would expect nine Republican congressional seats, and there's allegedly 10 in the enacted map. One district, that's extreme. I think that's, I think that's a hard thing to say. Um, with regard to the uh, Dr. Pegden, regarding the congressional districts, he argues for 5.8 Democratic seats uh, compared to 4.69 in the map. That's that's barely one. In the state house plan, he argues for 55.5 Democratic seats compared to 52.85 in the enacted plan. That's just that's not even a handful. In the state senate, he argues for 22.3 Democratic seats compared to 21.67 seats that are in the enacted plan. So these these are these are small uh, differences, and this court would have to make a policy decision about: are, is that extreme? Is two seats extreme? Is three seats extreme? What about ten? We don't. The, the court would have to provide that policy decision to the legislature to implement. And so you heard in some of those examples that he gave. I mean, think about those numbers. He's basically saying, look, in the maps that they drew, there's one seat difference here. Is one seat extreme? Um, in the state Senate districts, there's a handful of seats. There's a, a couple seats here in the House, et cetera. The bottom line is, is that the, the, the differences between the supposed ideal maps or the maps that were considered good and the maps that the Republicans drew are nominal. They're hardly any difference at all. And besides the fact, there's no restriction on drawing maps based on party affiliation. Now, you can say you don't like it. You can say you don't think it's fair. You can say we ought to change the process, whatever. Like everybody's free to have their own opinion about that. But the fact is here, what we're talking about is what is the law? And when the when the Democrat majority on the court refers to the will of the people, what exactly is the will of the people here? And that's something we need to be thinking about. If, if ultimately what we're trying to represent through the, the, the map drawing through the process itself, through how we're governing, right? This is a this is a self-government experiment that we've been doing here in America for over 200 years. When we talk about self-government, we're saying the will of the people should be expressed through the process that the people have approved. And so what process is that? And that's something we've got to get to in here as we look at this is have the people said that they don't want maps drawn by party affiliation? I don't see anything in the state constitution that says that. And in fact, there are states like Florida that have. 
there are states out there that do have bans on drawing maps based or, 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 or prohibit partisan gerrymandering in their map drawing. So it's not like it's never been done, but we haven't done it here. So at least as of yet, the people of North Carolina have not spoken into law or into our state constitution that that is something that should not be done. And yet, like defense counsel, Mr. Strack has said here on a couple of these clips that I've mentioned, for you to establish a line means you, the Democrat majority, or whoever it is that rules in this way, you're going to have to make a policy decision. And that language is important because policy is not made by the judges or justices. It's, it was never, policy was never to be intended, and never intended to be made by justices. They were tended to be interpreted. And instead, what we have here, and what he's essentially saying is, is that if you go pull out some kind of line, then you're making it up. And that's not your job. And obviously, he's, he's doing that in the most respectful you know, way possible, but that is the truth here. And that's important uh, to, to remember. So that was that's sort of the, the majority opinion and the, and the case that they're making. I guess a couple other things I wanted to point out here, um, because I think this is important in terms of what kind of conditions did they give the General Assembly? You heard in that language I mentioned earlier and how vague it was. Listen to this. They go further and they say, there are multiple reliable ways of demonstrating the existence of an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. You're like, oh, okay, great. Now they're going to tell us the line, right, where the line is. In particular, mean median difference analysis, efficiency gap analysis, closed votes, closed seat analysis, and partisan symmetry analysis may, that's an important word, may be useful in assessing whether the mapmaker adhered to traditional neutral districting criteria, which I'm not sure how, what you get from tradition when we never, we don't do this. Um, traditional neutral districting criteria and whether a meaningful and again, meaningful is an undefined term. Meaningful partisan skew necessarily results from North Carolina's unique political geography. If some combination of these metrics demonstrate some combination, right? We don't know what kind of combination, but some combination of these metrics demonstrates there is a significant likelihood that the districting plan will give the voters of all political parties substantially equal opportunity to translate votes into seats across the plan then the plan is presumptively constitutional. What does that mean? They've given you no definition. They've basically said if there's some combination of stuff that basically says that the likelihood means that voters of all parties have an equal opportunity to translate votes into seats, then it's constitutional. Well, by what definition are you are you judging that? Are you saying are you again are you talking about proportional representation? Are you saying that if we have thirty percent Democrats in the state, then we should have thirty percent of our representatives are Democrats? As I explained a couple podcasts ago, one of the problems with that theory, even if you wanted to do that, even if you thought that was fair, and I'm not even necessarily opposed to uh, giving a fair opportunity, if you will. The, the challenge is though is where we live. Remember, one of the requirements to drawing districts is they have to be contiguous. They have to be connected. And as we all know, Democrats tend to congregate in the metropolitan areas. Republicans tend to congregate out in the rural areas. So just by where we live, we have sort of self-selected ourselves, at least to some degree, into heavily Democrat areas and heavily Republican areas. And to no surprise, people congregate with like-minded people. That's just the way it is. So by virtue of 
where we live, which is our which is our choice, and the party affiliation that we choose, which we all know may or may not mean anything, depending on the person that you are or whether you vote or not. Those things, those are set. And, and people have the freedom to change those things as they want. But unless you can articulate to me what you mean by fairness, essentially, right? That's basically what they're saying is if we look at your maps and we think they're fair, then they're constitutional. And the defendants keep saying, if you're going to if you're going to make that uh, objective, then you have to tell me what fair means. And they haven't done it. The plaintiffs didn't do it and the justices didn't do it either. And that's not right. They, just like defense counsel said, if you do this, you're making it up. And that's what they're doing. And then finally, to put the icing on the cake, and this is when we really get to what the Democrats in the state are after, at the end of the opinion, it says, should the General Assembly choose not to submit new congressional and state legislative districting plans on or before this deadline, and the deadline's essentially two weeks, they've, they've given them till February 18th to redraw the maps, the trial court will select a plan which comports with constitutional requirements based upon the findings it entered in its prior order. So think about that. They're basically saying, well, you turn in your maps or don't, and if you don't, whichever, and if we decide that we don't like them, then we're going to have the trial court basically just select a set of maps that do meet this objective that we haven't told you exist. Uh, it's a no-win situation. Uh, you know, it's like I, I read in one of the articles. It's, it's a it's a classic heads I win, tails you lose scenario. And so this is the situation. It, it's so obvious what they're doing. Democrats hate the fact that Republicans are in control. And by the way, let's not forget this. When Republicans took control in 2010, again, they took over the House and Senate for the first time in 100 years. When Republicans got control of the legislature in 2010, they did it using Democrat maps. The Democrats had drawn the maps the prior 10 years before that, and those maps were skewed to Democrats as well. Don't you think for a minute that Democrats haven't done the same thing for the last 100 years? This is the game. This is the way it's been done. This is the way it's been set up. This is, uh, wait a minute, it, could it be the will of the people? This has been the will of the people because if they willed something else, they would have changed it or at least tried to. And it hasn't been changed. So this is the these are the rules of the game, and the Democrats don't like it. And so they're going to do what they normally do. They're going to go to the courts, and they're going to make it up. And that's what they're doing. And that's what they've done. And so now let's get to the dissent. So this is the sort of the, the, the disagreeing opinion, if you will, um, by uh, one of the conservative justices, the, the Republican justices, um, Chief Justice Paul Newby, who barely won um, this past in 2020. If you recall, he beat, um, I believe her name is Sherry Beasley, um, for chief justice, and it was like literally by a handful of votes. And um, anyway, when he, uh, so he barely won. Well, he wrote the dissent uh, in this particular case and just did a fantastic job. I've never read one of his opinions. I've always heard he's a really conservative guy. He's a, he's a great justice, and he's super nice. Um, my son had a chance to meet him years ago when he was in high school um, working as a page in the state legislature. Um, but it, it, my son just said he, was, he got to spend like an hour with him. It was very nice. Um, and, and here was the first time I got to read one of his opinions, and I just thought it was excellent. Um, just so rock solid um, on the Constitution, and, and I hope you'll see that. So he starts off by saying, I dissent from the decision of the court, which violates separation of powers, 
by effectively placing responsibility for redistricting with the judicial branch, not the legislative branch, as expressly provided in our Constitution. As predicted by the Supreme Court of the United States, this court's decision results in an, quote, unprecedented expansion of judicial power, end quote. What a powerful way to start off. I mean, he is saying right out of the gate that you guys are violating separation of powers. You're violating the state constitution by doing a job. You've essentially put the job of redistricting in the judicial hands. And you might be thinking, well, how's that? How's that possible? Well, the legislature, yeah, they still get to draw them. Essentially what the, the, what the, uh, the, the court is saying is you go do all the work and we'll decide whether or not you did it good enough. So we're going to be the referee, but, but you go play the game. And so, uh, Justice Newby is saying that that's not right. That, that's uh, not at all what um, the Constitution means, and that's certainly not what separation of powers mean. He says, uh, by choosing to hold that partisan gerrymandering violates the North Carolina Constitution and by devising its own remedies, there appears to be no limit to this court's power. I mean, do you hear the kind of language he's using? And Justice Newby, you know, I don't think anyone would consider, to him, consider him to be extreme And yet he is using very strong language to say that what they're doing is flat out wrong. They've essentially given the court unlimited power when it comes to deciding how these maps should be drawn. He goes on to say the will of the people is best served and everyone's rights are best protected when the plain language of the Constitution is followed recognizing special rights to one favored person or group invariably diminishes the rights of others. And think about that for a minute. Someone might, you know, uh, critique my, my uh, analysis here when I talk about uh, Section 19 and I talk about the Equal Protection Clause, as I was mentioning earlier, and saying, you know, the reason why equal protection doesn't apply to people of different party affiliations is because it's not written here in the Constitution. That's what he means. We're best served if we just follow the plain language of the Constitution and not make stuff up. And that doesn't mean that things aren't ever open to interpretation. Uh, surely there's, there's situations where, you know, the, the document's not holistically clear or there are some, you know, um, gray areas or whatever the case may be. And, of course, that's why we have a court. But there's no gray area here. The, 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 the Constitution couldn't be more clear that party affiliation is not a... Um, is not a criteria for map drawing. And yet we're the, this court is essentially trying to create a new right out of whole cloth. All of a sudden now it's Republicans' rights and Democrat rights, and I guess unaffiliated rights and Green Party rights. Th- these things don't exist, nor should they. He says the issue before us, partisan consideration in redistricting, is both constitutionally committed to another branch of government, the General Assembly, and lacking in satisfactory legal standards Thus, a claim for partisan gerrymandering presents a non-justiciable political question. In other words, when he says non-justiciable, he's saying this is not a matter for the court. There's, there's nothing in here. You know, this issue, which is partisan consideration in redistricting, is not committed to the judicial branch. This issue is clearly laid out in the Constitution, and it's laid out for the General Assembly. It's the General Assembly's decision to decide how this process gets done according to the state constitution and any sort of sub you know, statutes, we'll call it, um, therein. Um, when he talks about the, uh, the standard, and so one of the things that in the oral arguments Newby did, and I thought he did a really great job, 
was he went after the plaintiffs and essentially saying, look, you guys are saying that they went too far. You're saying that they crossed the line. So, you know, my simple question is, is where's the line? So let's hear what he's got to say about, uh, let's see this, hear this clip. So what would you say is the, the standard that a general assembly must follow? What criteria is to be used in drawing districts? So obviously the constitution sets forth a number of criteria, but the one that we focus on here is the same one that uh, Mr. Jones started with, the principle from the Lattimore case, which is that you ask whether the will of the people, the majority legally expressed is governing, or whether you have a map that's instead systematically preventing a party whose candidates win a majority of votes from obtaining a majority of seats. And on this question about whether there's a judicially manageable standard, I guess the, the other place I would start is to say that a holding... So let me be clear. So you're advising the General Assembly, and what you're telling the General Assembly is precisely what? What, what criteria should the General Assembly use in redistricting? Uh, you know, put them off precisely what you believe needs to be done. Well, of course, you know, just just to be precise, we're not here to tell the General Assembly what they should or shouldn't do or should or shouldn't consider. But the legal standard that we're invoking here with that, the court has got to have a clear standard that we give the General Assembly that, frankly, gives the General Assembly a safe harbor. We did it this way and therefore we have complied with the Constitution. Otherwise, we're simply making it up. Should we use the 2019 trial court order as our go-by with regard to what standards should be utilized? Sure. So I, I, I want to directly answer that question about what our standard is uh, and then, then come back to a way the court might think about this based on what happened in Pennsylvania. The direct answer to your question is our standard is you ask whether the will of the people, the majority is governing, and if you have a map that systematically prevents a party whose candidates receive a majority of statewide votes from obtaining a majority of seats, uh, then it violates the principle that we've set forth. And this, this principle, implementing it, is really quite straightforward. It's just arithmetic. I mean, that's just hilarious. He, he, you know, Justice Newby keeps saying, okay, you, you say there's a line, so just tell me where the line is. And then the guy's like, well, I mean, you know, there's not really a line. I mean, you know, it, we don't really want to tell what the court, what a line is. Uh, and then just, like, what do you mean? Like, isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we're having this conversation? And so they can't articulate a line either. They don't know. And they don't want to say, because you know what happens? If they say where the line is, then number one, that line can be criticized. It can be either criticized as crazy and extreme or it can be criticized as someone could say, oh, well, you know, Republicans go, great, we'll meet that line here. We'll make this change, make that change. Boom, we did it. We, you know, we figured out a way to sort of meet your standard and get the maps we want. Now, what are you going to do? But rather than articulate a standard, what they want to do is they want the court to decide. Because once they can put it in the hands of the court, then it can be anything they want it to be. It's completely out of our hands. You see the problem with this? This is so awful. This, I was so infuriated Friday night when I was reading this opinion. I'm watching the new Jack Reacher show on Prime. I'm loving this thing. It's just it's such a stress release to, to watch this. I'm flipping through my phone. I see 
the uh, the judgment that came out, I start reading this thing, and I mean, I'm just about to blow my top right before I go to bed on Friday night, because this is so wrong. Our our freedoms and our rights of our state and our republic are being violated to such an extreme degree, blatantly. They're doing it in your face. They're just like, yeah, we're going to sue. We're going to take these maps up to the state Supreme Court, and we've got the majority, and we're just going to say no. What are you going to do about it? And typically, with the GOP, it's nothing. We're going to take it, because that's what we do. Republicans play by the rules, and Democrats don't. And that's why Republicans lose. you got to fight fire with fire. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about taking, you know, uh, torches and sticks and, and guns up to the state capitol. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you've got to use all the tools at your disposal to fight for the freedom that is rightfully yours. The state constitution, in addition to talking about these other rights that we've articulated here, also talks about the sovereignty of the people, that all power has been vested, all sovereignty is, invest, is vested in the people of this state. We are the ones in charge, not them, not the state Supreme Court, not the General Assembly, not Governor Cooper. They're not in charge. We're in charge. They answer to us. They work for us. And we can question anything whenever we want. Thomas Jefferson says in the Declaration of Independence, when a a government basically loses its way and violates the rights of those people, the people have the right to either abolish that government or change it. And so in this particular situation, the, the Republicans got to get serious about this stuff. We can't just keep playing the game where they just do whatever they want to do and we just go with it. And we just get mad and say, oh, well, elect more Republicans and then it'll be different. No, it won't. It doesn't matter if we have, even if we had a supermajority. You know, I hear a lot of Republicans, oh, when we get a supermajority, then we'll do whatever we want. No, you won't. You get a supermajority, guess what they're going to do? They still would have taken this right to the court. Oh, well, you know, let's go get let's go get uh, Republican justice on there and then we'll get what we want. Well, then they'll appeal to the federal Supreme Court. I mean, these people are going to find a way to get what they want or they're just going to subvert you. They're not going to stop. The question is, is will we? Are we going to give up? Are we going to lay down and roll over and let people have our rights? And this is why this matters so much. Let me just hit on a few other things in this dissent and I'm going to get here to some of the key core issues here, but he, Justice Newby says, our Constitution subjects redistricting by the General Assembly to only four express limitations, okay? And I listed those out in Article 2. So, um, and so he says, as since since the, 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 the state Constitution is very clear as to the rules for uh, doing the maps, and that partisan gerrymandering is not one of those things, He says, as such, unless and until the people alter the law to either limit or prohibit the practice of partisan gerrymandering, this court is without any satisfactory or manageable legal standard and thus must refuse to resolve such a claim. In other words, he's saying this is none of our business. Until the law is changed and until partisan gerrymandering becomes one of the criteria, we have no voice in this. He goes on to say, a summary pronouncement by the majority to the, contr- to the contrary does not make it so. In other words, just because the, the, the four Democrats on the court say that it violated the will of the people and that partisan gerrymandering is against the state constitution doesn't make it so. In the majority's view, it is this court rather than the people. Think about that. that he's saying, this court is saying, it's not you. 
It's us who hold the power to alter our Constitution. Not the people, the court. Thus, the majority by judicial fiat, think about how strong those words are. The majority by judicial fiat amends the plain text of Article 1, Sections 10, 12, 14, and 19 to empower courts to supervise the legislative power of redistricting arising from complaints of partisan gerrymandering. Such action constitutes a clear usurpation of the people's authority alone to amend their Constitution. Get on it, man. That's the truth. Justice Newby is spilling the truth right there. Such action constitutes a clear usurpation. They are, they are subverting the power of the people alone to amend their state constitution, and it's not right. In essence, he says, the majority rules that the North Carolina Constitution now has a statewide proportionality requirement for redistricting. It seeks to support this view with various provisions of our Declaration of Rights that are designed to protect the individual and personal rights. In other words, he's saying you basically you're making it, you're taking our individual rights and then you're converting them into somehow these new group rights that don't exist. He says uh, the question of how much partisan consideration is unconstitutional remains a mystery. As does what is meant by quote substantially equal voting power on the basis of partisan affiliation. What does that even mean? He says any discretionary decisions constitutionally committed to the General Assembly in the redistricting process have now been transferred to the court. Well, congratulations. He's saying you, you just lost, General Assembly, you just lost your power to draw the maps. That's what this decision means. And remember, this is precedent. This is binding, not just now. This is going forward. And that's, that's what's so damaging and dangerous about this, is that this stuff matters. The way our republic is set up, decisions have consequences, not just for now, but going forward. Think about Roe v. Wade. You set a precedent, and that precedent resonates through the future. He closes with, uh, at least uh, in part, by a quote um, from the U.S. Supreme Court, he says the United States Supreme Court or Supreme Court of the United States noted the unreliability of political science models. Quote, even the most sophisticated districting maps cannot reliably account for some of the reasons voters prefer one candidate over another or why their preferences may change. Voters elect individual candidates in individual districts and their selections depend on the issues that matter to them. The quality of the candidates, the tone of the candidates campaigns, the performance of an incumbent, national events or local issues that drive voter turnout and other considerations. Many voters split their tickets. Others never register with a political party and vote for candidates from both major parties at different points during their lifetimes. For all of those reasons, asking judges to predict how a particular districting map will perform in future elections risks basing constitutional holdings on unstable ground outside judicial expertise. In other words, judges have no business doing any of this. They don't know what they're doing. They have no special expertise in this. So what? So somebody comes into a court, brings a bunch of fancy analytical models and goes, well, my model said that your maps are wrong. Well, so what? The problem, as defense counsel outlined, was that computers cannot take into effect or cannot take into account the human element. Just as I mentioned before, remember when I said that Republicans won the majority with Democrat maps? It's not because those maps favored them. It's because the people of North Carolina were tired of Democrat policies. It's because 
Barack Obama became president in 2008 and rammed through Obamacare against the will of the people, and he paid for it in a landslide election in 2010. That's what happened. And you know what that was? That was the will of the people. That was, that was the, the demonstration of the fact that any person in this state who wants to go and register to vote can vote for anyone they want. Just because you're registered Republican, you're not required to vote for Republicans. You're not required to vote for Democrats. And anyone who meets the qualifications can run for office. You can have 50 candidates running if that's what you want. We are in control. This is the process that we, the people, have created. And they have just taken a dump on it. I mean, let's just be honest. The majority of this court just said they just wiped their tail with the state's the Constitution. And so when we, when we talk about why this matters, and I know like when we talk about maps and all this, like I know it can be, I, I know it can be boring. I know what, just the mention of it can make your eyes glaze over. But I hope you see in what we've talked about here how important this is that your will has just been overridden. And let's talk about what the will of the people is. This is what it looks like to me. The will of the people is we, the people, wrote and approved our state constitution. So the current state constitution we're under, I think, was last approved in 1971. That was done by the will of the people. So the, that, therefore, that means that the rules that have been laid out in Article 2 that say these are the requirements you have to follow in order to draw the maps, those were the will of the people. And then in 2020, in the last election, the people, knowing that the party in power draws the maps, elected Republicans to be the majority in both the House and the Senate, almost all the way across the board except for the governor's office, and that was close. So knowing that this process comes up every 10 years, knowing that Republicans were going to get to draw the maps for the next 10 years, the people in North Carolina elected Republicans. Nobody forced them to. They could have voted for anybody they wanted to. But they voted for Republicans to do it. That's the will of the people. And when people go to the polls and vote next time, they will also be expressing the will of the people. If, if, if the people believe that Republicans drew insane, you know, uh, partisan maps that, that should not be allowed and are beyond the pale or whatever, if they don't like the way they did it, well, guess what? In 2030, they'll get the chance to change it. Or they can advocate to the General Assembly to change the state constitution and make partisan gerrymandering a requirement. Nobody's stopping them from doing that either. So the will of the people has been subverted, and that is a killer. That matters. Also, this matters for future Supreme Court cases. This court has demonstrated with this Democrat majority that they don't care what the Constitution says. They will do anything they will rule however they want to rule to get their way, period. End of story. And, and there's two cases coming up this year, unless I'm mistaken. Um, one of them is voter ID, which I think I've mentioned in a prior podcast. Voter ID was originally voted in by the Republican majority in 2013, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, if I have my dates right. And we still haven't implemented it yet. Why? Because the minority has taken it to court and has been tying it up in court ever since. And so what did the people do? What was the will of the people? The will of the people said, okay, well, you're going to go take it to court. Well, let me just make it clear for you. Let's go pass a state constitutional amendment saying that we want voter ID to be a part of the process. And the people voted for it. 
They could have voted against it. Nobody's stopping them from doing that. The will of the people was expressed. They want voter ID. Oh, but no, we're still in the courts. And guess what? It's coming before this court. And what do you think they're going to rule? They don't give a damn about the state constitution. And then uh, the other thing that's coming up before them is uh, also another state constitutional amendment to limit uh, or to cap the income tax rate. So the people of North Carolina voted, I believe in 2018, to cap the personal income tax rate at 7%. In other words, not to say that it is 7%, but it can never be higher than 7%. So it's been capped at 7%. I think it was 10% before. They're trying to rule that unconstitutional. Well, how do you think they're going to rule on that? You know Democrats love to spend. And so it matters because of the cases that are coming before us. It matters because of the separation of powers. As Justice Newby pointed out, they have clearly violated our checks and balances system. What makes our system work so well is that it recognizes the fallenness of man and, and his or her desire to constantly gain for more power, and it pits those groups against one another, the legislative branch, the judicial branch, the executive branch. Those three co-equal branches One's not superior to the other. They are co-equal branches. They are instituted to balance one another out. That's why the, the separation of powers creates a checks and balances. That's why not all the power is vested in one branch, because then that branch will just do whatever they want to do, and there'll be no stopping them. And so the, 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 the genius of our founders, looking at other governments, seeing what had worked in the past, et cetera, instituted this checks and balances system, instituted this separation of powers. But as we've seen in our country, we have a fatal flaw with the judiciary. The judiciary at both the state and the federal level has become the supreme uh, branch of the land. They, we, are, we are not at co-equal branches anymore. And we've got to find a way to manage it. Now, we have a better way to manage it at the state level because we can vote them out. They, they have to come up for election. At the federal level, they're lifetime appointments, and that's obviously more difficult. So th there is some check uh, on it here. But, but this kind of stuff, again, if their opinions have lasting impact, then it's almost like a rule that I won't say can't be undone because you can rewrite the state constitution, but it's very difficult to be undone. And even when you do, as the people try to rewrite the state constitution, they try to say that's unconstitutional. So, you know, either way, they're going to try to get you on this, but they violated the separation of powers, and that was clear. And then finally, you know, this matters because this is essentially minority rule. The will of the people has been expressed through the majority and their representation. We are a representative republic, and, th and that representation has said, this is what we want as a people. This is the express will of the people. Not to say that every single person agrees, but the overall express will of the people has been done. And what a minority of people, in this case, four justices on the state Supreme Court are just saying, no, we're not doing that. And not because it violates your constitution, not because it violates our founding or, you know, it's our principal governing document, just because I don't want to. And what are you going to do about it? And that's why this matters. We cannot sit idly by while our rights and our liberties are trampled, while our 
our our govern our core governing document, our state constitution, which is which is the foundation of the laws in our state and and the the sort of the guiding light that everything must abide by. When we have a state when we have state supreme court justices that just say I don't care and are going to do whatever they want to do, that cannot be tolerated. Or else you don't have freedom. You're not free. This isn't freedom. This is tyranny. So what should the GOP do? What should we do? Well, we'll talk about what we should do in a minute. Let's talk about what the GOP should do. Well, number one, the GOP should fight. They should not lay down and roll over and say, well, okay, I guess we'll go redraw the maps then. That's what you want us to do. They've talked about potentially taking this to the United States Supreme Court. I don't think the Supreme Court, number one, will take the case because it's a state issue. It's none of their business either. They don't have anything to say about this. This is, a, this is our business. We have followed the Constitution in the sense that we've done a census every 10 years like we're supposed to, and the state legislature has drawn the maps. That's pretty much the length that the federal government has into this, or I should say the federal Constitution has in this. We just, we're just required to do the process. But how we do that process is up to us. And so this is house business here. This, this, is, this is our business. And so it doesn't belong with the United States Supreme Court. It belongs with us. And we, the people, are sovereign. And we do have recourse here. So I'll tell you what I think they should do. And they won't do it, but I'll tell you what I think they should do anyway. I think that the General Assembly should tell the state Supreme Court, no, we will not redraw the maps. Um, because you still haven't told us why our maps are unconstitutional. You haven't drawn any line. We haven't violated any rule. We're not going to do it. And if you, the majority justices, if you try to insert your own maps once again for the second time in a week, or I guess two or three weeks at that point in time, you will have violated the state constitution and you're going to be impeached. And when we impeach you, for those who don't know, in the state of North Carolina, when you get impeached, it's not like the federal uh, government where when you get impeached, basically you can keep governing. In the state of North Carolina, if you get impeached, then you're essentially benched. You're, you're suspended from office while your Senate trial is going on. So the House can impeach with a majority. That's all they need. 50 plus one. They don't need uh, two thirds or anything like that. All they need is 50 percent plus one to impeach. And then once they've impeached, though anyone who's been impeached is is suspended from their office and then the Senate trial begins. And while the Senate trial is going on, that's when the General Assembly should take those maps to the three remaining justices that have half a brain and say, "Yeah, go on ahead and approve these things and we'll move on with our elections." That's what they ought to do. You want to play this game? We can play this game. But the people will have their way. Folks, this is how, this is not only how we got free, but this is how we stay free. And so when I talk about fighting fire with fire, that's what I'm talking about. So people say, oh, that's extreme. That's crazy, Jason. Like, well, we can't do that. And we're going to create all. What's the, what's the alternative? To live in tyranny? To let people run all over us, do whatever they want to do? Subvert the will of the people because they want to? That's not freedom. And we will not be a republic long like that. So now let's get to some action we can take.
So I think it's pretty simple uh, with respect to this issue. Um, you know, you got to contact your state legislators, um, senators, and quite frankly, I would just go right to the top. Go to um, Speaker House Speaker Tim Moore. Um, you can look up his. I, actually, I'll put his email address in the show notes. You can also look up um, the uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate, Phil Berger. Um, I think there's a couple other email addresses I can get from the guys who are sort of responsible for the map drawing process. Email these people, call their offices, you know, tell them, you know, you, you want them to fight this, that we cannot afford to just roll over and let the Democrats, you know, tell us what to do and violate, clearly violate our state constitution and our rights. We cannot stand for it. Um, so that's that's it. You know, tell a friend, tell somebody else who doesn't know anything about this to listen to the podcast. Tell them to email people as well. Everybody's got to get involved. The the key with anything when it comes to getting our representatives to do something is volume. You've got to get a voice out there. It's not enough for just one or two people to do this. If you want to be free, if you want to stay free, at least what little freedom you got left, you better start fighting for it. Or it's going to be gone. There is no promise in the Bible that America will be around. Remember that. So just in the same blessed way that we got this country, we can just as easily lose it. So that's all for this episode, folks. As I mentioned, I'll, I'm, it's my plan to put out another episode later this week on a dip, different topic. We're going to be talking about the University of North Carolina system and critical uh, racist theory, CRT. You won't believe the stuff we've got here, there's a new report that's come out, a lot of great information, um, definitely something you want to tune into. Thank you so much for listening to the First and Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and give it a five-star review. That will help ensure other freedom-loving North Carolinians find it as well. You can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you go for podcasts. Finally, if you have any additional feedback or show topic ideas, you can email me directly at firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. That's firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. And until next time, be first in freedom.